Hey guys, let's, uh, let's give our worship team a round of applause this morning. Come on. Amen. It's good stuff. I always love hearing Christmas songs. I'm a, I'm a type of, I'm a Christmas guy. I love the season. I had a friend growing up. His name was Chad. In the summer between our sophomore and junior year, Chad had one thing on his mind, and, and probably most of us would, would agree with this. Chad had one thing on his mind. It wasn't a, a girl. It wasn't a job. Can you venture to guess what it is? A car. Like he wanted a car. And, and go back to your, your junior high, seventh grade days. I mean, when you're visualizing your first vehicle, you're visualizing the Ferrari, right? You're visualizing the Maserati, the, the Escalade, the big jacked-up pick-em-up truck. And, and so uh, you embellish a little bit, right? But by the time you get to high school and you're ready to have that freedom, you would, you would settle and, and basically settle for anything that has four wheels and that gets you from point A to point B in a, some sort of manner. I mean, it doesn't have to be like perfect gets you there, but hey, we're, we're, let's be honest, we'll settle for just about anything. So my buddy, Chad, had been talking to his dad for a long time about getting a car. He said, Dad, can we... Uh, summer rolled around. He says, Dad, can we, can we look at getting a car? Can I, can I get a car? So his dad, they talked for a little while, and his dad says, you know what? Um, before I get you a car, I want you to do one thing for me. I said, okay, what, what is that? So Chad's dad handed him a book. He says, I want you to read this book. I want you to read this book, and then we'll talk about getting you a car. So this is, and I, I want to I'm going to tell you guys, this is a true story. This is a true story. Chad's dad gave him a book, and it, it, wasn't, it wasn't one of those books that you, know, that you can make a coffee table out of. It wasn't like the big, huge, like thick, that would take you like two or three weeks to read. This was a simple book, maybe a couple of days read. Maybe, maybe that. So he got the book. A couple weeks go by. A couple weeks go by, Chad comes to his dad and he says, Hey, Dad, let's, let's, can we talk about the car? He says, Son, did you read the book? <laughs> he says, No, it's, uh, it's on my nightstand. I'm going to get to it. It's, it. I mean, it looks good. It's got some pages. And uh, He says, Well, go read the book and we'll talk about the car. So, okay, so a couple more weeks go by. We're getting further into summer. Chad asks his dad again. He says, Can we talk about the car, please? Did you read the book? It's like, oh man, I, you know, I'm going to get to it. Uh, you know, I've, I've been meaning to read it. It's, you know, I read the first page. It actually looks like a pretty good read, but I still haven't got to it. He's, his dad says, read the book, and we'll talk about the car. And literally, this conversation lasts all summer long. See, uh, Chad comes to his dad. He says, okay. Can we talk about the car? Can, we get, can I please get a car? We're two weeks. We've got two weeks of summer left. Dad, can I please get a car? His dad looks at him. He says, you still have not read the book. He says, well, how do you know I haven't read the book? He says, go give me the book. <laughs> so Chad goes, gets him the book. He, his dad opens the book to the second to the last page. 
He says, I want you to read this paragraph. Literally, word for word, this is what it said. It says, your mother and I have bought you a car. I have keys in my pocket. It's in the neighbor's house in their garage. All you have to do is ask me for the keys. Thank you for doing what I asked you to do. Can you imagine the feeling that Chad had? <laughs> I mean, dude, we, we literally could have been late night Taco Bell runs, maybe a couple of, uh, of TPing uh, situations, literally high school shenanigans right there. Wasted all summer, all he had to do <laughs> was read a book, right? That's it, that's it. So this story, it may be funny, but there's a reality there's a reality in the church of America. And, and let, me, let me first of all say this. This is not your typical Christmas sermon. Uh, but I truly and firmly believe that God, yes, God sent Jesus to this earth not only to bridge the gap between God and man, but also in, in his walk in establishing his followers, I truly believe that he, uh, that he came to establish the church. And in doing that, he told Peter, he says, Upon this rock, I will build my kingdom. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So this may not be your traditional Christmas message, but it's a challenge that we all need to hear. It's a little curveball for the youth pastor this morning. So bear with me. So, like I said, the story may be funny, but there's, there's a reality in the church of America. And the reality is, if we're not careful, we're going to waste months and even years simply because... We haven't done what the Father has asked us to do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we, gather, before we dig in. Jesus, thank you for gathering your family together this morning. We come to you now with expectant hearts. We come not only believing, but expecting to have an encounter with you, Jesus. And now I ask that you help me as I present your word. Holy Spirit, would you provide me the clarity of thought, soundness of speech, and the ability to preach with the boldness of a lion? When all is said and done, would we commit to pursuing the kind of lives that no church has ever seen before? And in doing so, Jesus, would you receive all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise? And everybody said, Amen. I'm going to start out with a weird question this morning. You're like, all right, let's go, all right? So my question is, how do you tame an elephant? <laughs> has, ever, has anybody ever wondered this, this question? <laughs> I Me mean, neither, right? Uh, so, <laughs> so back in the day, and, and some of you probably remember this, they were called zoo books. Anybody remember zoo books? Oh, wow. Hey, okay, we got one. We got... Uh, Dr. Cottle over there. That's what I'm, that's what I'm talking about. All right, so, uh, so there were these things called zoo books, and, and I read an article in there on how to tame an elephant, right? That was a good read. It was a good read. So uh, in taming an elephant, uh, the way it's done is when the elephant is a baby, right? Uh, the trainer or whoever it is ties a rope to their back leg, to their hind leg, and then they tie the other part to an immovable object, like a tree. And so the, the baby elephant, for weeks, man, he just he tries to get out of that, that rope. He tries to get away. And no matter how, how hard he tries and how hard he tugs and pulls, it cannot break free. 
And over time, it develops this thing that we call a learned helplessness. Helplessness. I can't talk this morning. Helplessness. You see, trying so hard for, uh, for so long to break a hold, to be thwarted time and time again, it eventually believes that no matter what it does, it can't, it can't, can't escape. And so ultimately, as a fully grown, several tons later, it can be tied to a twig, and it still won't even escape. Matter of fact, it won't even try to escape. It knows no matter how hard it tries, it cannot get out of the rope. And as you study the current state of the church in America, I think you might conclude that it's a lot like the elephant tied to a twig. It has all the power in the world to break free. But yet it still stays, it's still tied, it's still chained as a, and fallen into a, a state of learned helplessness. Let me share a few points to back this up. A few points that I, I did my research. It says nearly 6,000 churches close their doors every year in the United States. 85% of churches in the United States have plateaued or are declining. On a positive note, there's nearly 800 churches being planted a year in the United States. However, nearly 10,000 churches need to be planted for the uh, increase in our population. Sounds like the church is being chained. It sounds like the church is being tamed. However, when I look at our church, I see people willing to step up and step out. For example, uh, Thursday, we were, able to, we were able to hand out 100 gift cards in the pickup line at the elementary. I mean, awesome. It's, you know, we, we, were, we were handing them out, and, and just to see the smile and the joy on these people faces, on the people's faces that, that took the cards, it was, it was awesome. It was amazing to see. So I see our church as a church on fire. I see a church that is broken free and leaving its mark in the margins of our community. Now, don't get me wrong. Our church isn't perfect. You know why? Because it's filled with unperfect people. But there's a lot of great things going on at FBC. We cannot become complacent because if we did, we would end up like one of those other churches that are closing its doors. So how does a church become chains? How does a church become tamed? I did a little research and I came up with this. When, the ch when churches make it acceptable for people to do nothing and call themselves Christ followers, that's when it begins to die. You see, God doesn't desire a church to be chained and locked up. God desires a church that is on fire, that is making a difference in the community. So what is a church on fire? It's a church that isn't primarily about you. I know that maybe sometimes it's hard for me to hear myself. It's a church that believes that there is opportunity in the margins of society and in the community. And most of all, it's a church that, care, that cares more about its calling than its own personal comfort. You see, the church on fire is modeled all throughout Scripture. And today, I'd like to share with you three characteristics of a church 
on fire. But before we do, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 10. We're going to zero in on a story this morning about the Good Samaritan. It's a parable of the Good Samaritan, and I believe that this will build a foundation of truth in, order, in, in a way that we would gather our three characteristics from, uh, from this story. Luke chapter 10, and we're going to start in verse 30. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 30. Can we do something this morning? I know in the first service we always do this. Uh, if, you're, if you're there and you've got Luke chapter 10, would you stand as we honor God's word this morning? Let's stand up. Verse 30, it says, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell amongst robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Verse 31, now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Verse 34, he went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Thank you. You may be seated. So we look at this story of the Good Samaritan, and it's got so much, it's got so much packed into this story. You could spend a good month or two just on this one story. However, we're going to focus our attention this morning on those three actions found in verses 33 and 34. Because that's where we obtain the three characteristics in this story. So the first characteristic that we see in the story is a church on fire. Number one, chooses to see things others ignore. Let me say that again. A church on fire chooses to see things that others ignore. The Bible says the Samaritans saw him. But the Bible also says that the priest and the Levite saw this man too. So what's the difference between what the priest and Levite saw that the Samaritan saw? I had a friend that, uh, this was Memorial Day, uh, I, think, I think it was back in uh, 2008 or 2009, somewhere around in there. Uh, but he got us great tickets to see the Rangers play. I mean, these were awesome tickets so close that you could like almost smell the sweat off of Josh Hamilton. It was, there were great seats. Uh, matter of fact, his girlfriend at the time, or his girlfriend at the time, was Buddy Bell's granddaughter. So if you don't know who Buddy Bell is, he co-owned the Rangers with George Bush. And so we got owner's seats. So we're, I'm literally sitting like a couple of inches from Nolan Ryan. Like this, that's how good these seats were. It's right behind the first base, first base dugout, right behind the Rangers dugout. And it was also <laughs> all-you-can-eat seats. <laughs> so you could, you, could like, you could go to town on some nachos and some cheesy fries. And so I took advantage of that. <laughs> I took advantage of that. And by the third inning, it was like, okay, you, you're going to pay for the decisions that you've made in, this, in the previous inning. So I had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so, so I get back, and I'm, I'm going back to my seat, and I realized... Something was missing. 
my phone, my phone was missing. And I'm sitting there, I'm freaking out, I'm frantically looking. I'm like, you know, on uh, Lord of the Rings when Gollum, Gollum's precious. I was like, this is my precious, I've got to find, <laughs> I've got to find my phone. So I'm frantically searching, I'm, I'm tracing my steps, looking through my pockets, looking under my seat. I go back to the bathroom, I go back uh, to the concession stand, I'm, I'm looking everywhere for my phone. All of a sudden, I feel something underneath, my, my, like in my armpit. Guess what it was? It was my phone. <laughs> but I say all that to say this. There's a point to that story, okay? Uh, I say all that to say this. We are relentless in pursuing things we deem valuable. You say that again. We are relentless in pursuing things that we deem valuable. So why did the Samaritan see the man that others had ignored because the Samaritan deemed this man valuable. Why did God send his son to die on a cruel cross? Because he deemed us valuable. He saw something in us that we didn't see in ourselves. And as Christians, I think we would all agree that people are valuable. People are valuable. We understand that everyone is created in the image of God. But why is it that we'd all agree that people are valuable, but sometimes we don't always act like that. You see, I worked in a grocery store for 10 years. I learned many things at the grocery store, but one thing I learned at the grocery store is people hate working on Sundays. Why do they hate working on Sundays? Because Christians shop on Sundays. And this is no joke. Why do they hate shopping on, or why do they hate uh, working on Sunday? Because Christians come in, they all come in at once. Number there are two reasons. Number one, they're hungry, <laughs> some, sometimes hangry, they're impatient, and number two, they're trying to hurry up because they want to watch who? Yeah, baby, come on now, because <laughs> they want to watch the Cowboys or or some type of sporting events. You see, the Samaritan saw what the other two didn't see. He saw that this man was valuable in the eyes of God. See, if we're honest with ourselves, we would see people the way God sees people. One of the prayers I pray every day is, God, let me see people the way you see people. And I would challenge you to do the same. I would challenge you to pray that same prayer. But let me just say this. Be careful when you do. <laughs> because God's going to open your eyes. And you're going to see people for the brokenness, the chaotic situations that they have. So what if? What if we really deemed people valuable? What might our world look like? What might our community look like? Number two. Characteristic number two, a church on fire recognize, recognizes God has put the power in the people. A church on fire recognizes that God has put the power in the people. If uh, Jesus said the Samaritan went to the man. The Samaritan went to the man. The, the priest and the Levite didn't even go to the man. And why did he go? Because he understood he had power to change this man's situation. He understood that God had put the power in him to change this man's situation. 
If we're, all, if we're honest with ourselves this morning, including myself, we often fail to recognize that we have the power to change someone's situation. We forget that God has put the power in the people, and part of my role as, as a youth pastor and as a pastor of this church is to help you unleash that power that God has given you. And we can empower you, Corey, uh, uh, Ethan, we can empower you to be the pastors in your realm of influence in our community, and we can go put the power inside of you, and, and God can just do wonders in this community of Grandview, and we can see people coming to Jesus, and we can see revival in, in the town, little town of Grandview. Doesn't that sound awesome? Yes. Sounds amazing. You know, Billy Graham who was an evangelist, huge evangelist. He would, he would walk into a room and he would look amongst the crowd. And he would, he would survey the crowd and he would see, you know what? Man, God's going to do something amazing here. And as I survey the crowd this morning, I have a feeling inside of me that God is going to do something amazing in the town of Grandview, in the community of Grandview. Why? Because God has given us the power. God has given us the power to change people's situation. You see, when you meet Jesus, when you meet Jesus for the first time, he tells you the same thing. The batteries are included, right? In other words, you have the power you need. The power comes from the Holy Spirit. But what kind of power are we talking about? Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Romans 8, 11, it says, And if the, Holy, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. In John 14, 12, this is one of my favorite verses, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in Me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. Church family, God has put the power in the people. The same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the grave is the same Spirit that dwells within you. Woo! Talking about some Holy Spirit going on up in here. I know we're not like, I know we're not Pentecostal, but I mean, come on. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, so God has put the power. You have the power inside of you. And Jesus himself says that you will do even greater things than he ever did. God has put the power in the people. But also recognize this. Sometimes the most powerful, powerful thing you can do is, is not healing the blind. It's not feeding the 5,000. It's not raising people from the dead. The most powerful thing you can do as a Christ follower is to change and get up and change somebody's situation. So I guarantee you there's somebody in this room right now that is going through a tough situation. There's somebody in this room that has, a, that has chaos going around all over. The, and there's somebody in this room that is struggling with their situation right now. God has put the power in the people. That's what he, that's what he uh, initially, when, when Jesus says, I've got to go, but there's something greater that's coming after me. He says, I'm going to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. The greatest thing you can do is to change somebody's situation for the better. 
Characteristic number three. A church on fire understands it must be broken before it can shine. A church on fire understands it must be broken before it can shine. Number one, he saw. Meaning he saw something others ignored. Number two, he went. He recognized that he had power to do something. And then number three, he took pity. A better translation would be he showed compassion. And if we were, look, if we were going to, to look at the entomology of the word compassion, you would see that the literal meaning of compassion is co-suffers. So in other words, he put himself in the other person's shoes. He saw them. Not only did he see them, he, took, he had compassion. He realized that he had power to change their situation, but he also he took compassion on the man. And therefore, he put himself in his shoes. I was coming to church one morning. wasn't here. I was coming to church one morning, and so I, I'm driving. You know how when you, you're like... You're in the zone, right? You're like, you're like tunnel vision. You got the rocky music playing. You're like, you're, you're in the zone. You're ready to like, okay, God, you're going to do something big today, right? So I was on my way to church, and, and I was in that mood, right? I was in, that, I was in the zone. And so I'm, I'm, I'm driving, and I see these two young men on the side of the road, and they're walking. One of them has a, uh, a weed eater, and the other one is pushing a lawnmower. So I, I kind of drove past them, and you know how sometimes you, you realize that, okay, God is calling you to do something, like hits you upside the head, and like, come on, dude, like, you gotta, you gotta, go, you gotta go do something. So I, I got that feeling, and you know how sometimes we, we, we make excuses, like, man, I, I've, gotta, I've gotta get here, I've gotta do this, I've gotta do this. And so we talk ourselves out of those situations. So I didn't, I didn't talk myself out, I, t- I turned around, and I pulled up behind them, I said, hey guys, how's it going? My name's Eric, I'm the youth pastor at, at, at the church, and, and uh, what, what's, what, what y'all doing? And one of the young men spoke up and said, we need money, our family needs money, and we're going to go mow some lawns. So okay, all right, cool, that, that's awesome, y'all, y'all have your own business. And so I just I struck up a conversation with these two young men. And I said, I tell you what, if you, do, if you do something for me, I'm going to do something for you. If you, if you come, come to church with me, okay, come to church with me, I will drive you to, to the lawns, and I will even help you. I'll even help you, you know, free labor, right? <laughs> like, who, who, can, who can ignore that? Uh, so I will even help you w- with your lawns. I, I, will, I will take you, come to church with me. Let, let's, let's go to church, and then I will take you to your lawns that you, that you have to mow. So they were like, ah, we, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know, you know, it's, it's, you know, we really need to get there. And I said, okay, I, I understand that, but, but come to church with me, it, it will go take care of your lawns. You, you get all the money, I'm not going to take, you know, I'm not going to take any, any kind of profit away from you. So it's, it's all yours. Finally, after, you know, a couple of, couple of haggling minutes, they said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll come to church with you. So they loaded up in the back of the truck, we took them to church. And they loved it. They absolutely loved it. So the next week, the ne- next Sunday, again, in the zone, I'm driving uh, on my way to church. I, d- I didn't see him walking. I didn't see him walking on the side of the road. So I'm like, okay, maybe, you know, they're sick or something. 
I walk in, I walk into the church building, I go into the youth room. Those two young men are sitting in the youth room. They said, Eric, we enjoyed it so much last week. We're going to be back. Like, we're, we're, we're coming to this church. We love it so much. We're going to be coming to this church. See, God puts the power in the people. We, we've got to realize that it must be broken. We must be broken. In our brokenness, that's when we show the love of Christ. Because why? Because we're putting ourselves in the people's shoes. We're putting ourselves in other people's positions. And we're looking at them the way God looks at them, the way Jesus looked at people. We're putting ourselves in their shoes. The young men, their names were Bruce and Nathaniel. And they, they were huge. Uh, shortly after that, they were huge leaders in the youth group. They started coming every Sunday. They started coming every Wednesday. I mean, they, they got involved. They went to all the youth events. They went to, basically, if, if the church had its doors open, these two young men were there. And not only did they inspire the church, they inspired me. And looking at these two young men, looking at these two young men who they've become because God used me. My challenge to you this morning, God can use you. Whatever your situation, whatever, uh, whatever in your realm of influence, the people that God has placed in your life, you can make a difference in their life. Because he saw, because you see those people. You see people that others ignore. You see them the way Jesus sees them. You, you, you go to them. You realize that you have the power that God has placed in you. And then you show compassion. You show compassion on people the way Jesus showed compassion on you. You know, on the cross, and I always say this, like I, I, this oh, it gives me chill bumps every time I say this. When Jesus was on the cross, and there's a song, I think there's a hymn that, that says this. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, you were on his mind. God has put the power in the people. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that you have inside of you. Guys, this is a, this is a building this is just a building. This is building with bricks and, and sheetrock and, and all those things. You are the church. God has put the power in the church, and you have the power to go outside these walls and make a difference in people's lives. See, I have a dream that when I, when I, when I came to this church, I went to school at Grandview. I love this community. I have a dream to see this community turned upside down in the name of Jesus Christ. I have a, I have a vision that, that I see students, I, I see adults coming to Jesus. I have a dream to see people put aside their pride and come to the name of Jesus. 
You see, God has put the power inside you. God has given you the gifts, talents, and abilities to point people. Like, it's not our job to save people. It's not our job to save them. But it is our job to point them in the, in the direction to the person who can. And we're, we're about to, we're, Ethan's going to come up and sing a song of invitation. I want to challenge you this morning. Church family, realize that God has put the power inside of you. God has put the power to change somebody's situation inside of you. All you have to do is recognize it. I have a dream to see these pews filled with people. Not only filled with people, but filled with people that need Jesus. And it's our job to show them Jesus. I want you to stand with me this morning. All, all heads bowed, all eyes closed. God, you, you have given us every thing that we need and to, and to go out into our community and make a difference. God, my prayer this morning, God, is you give us the boldness. God, you would give us the courage to use that power. God, there may be somebody here this morning that needs to, to start a relationship with you. There may be somebody here that does not know you, and, and I, I pray that they would, uh, right here, right now, they would call upon your name before it's eternally too late, before they walk outside these doors. God, your scripture says that we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And I pray that if you, if you have questions, let somebody change your situation. I pray that, they would, that you would give them the boldness and the courage to come down, this, to walk down the aisle. Take me by the hand and say, I need prayer. I need Jesus this morning. I pray that you would give them the courage and the boldness to come and get on their knees at this altar and not only praise you but say God I need you see there's something that we like to call pride that says we don't need help that says we're, we're okay but we're making it okay but God we know that you give us the power to say otherwise that we're not okay without Jesus in our life we are we are doomed. We are lost. We are broken. So, Father, I pray this morning, God, that you would grant these people boldness, and boldness like we've never seen before, whether they need to come and kneel at the altar. There's something about kneeling in the reverence to God. There's something about how God can speak to you through the process of kneeling. There may be, again, somebody here that needs to start a relationship with you this morning. And God, my prayer is that you give them what they need to step out. Before we do that, I, I'm going to do something this morning. If there's somebody in this room this morning that needs a relationship with Jesus, I, I just I want you to raise your hand. I, I don't want to call you out. I don't want to embarrass you. 
But I just want you to simply raise your hand this morning saying, I need Jesus right here, right now. I want to call upon the name of Jesus. If that's you this morning, again, I don't want to, I don't want to call on you. I don't want to embarrass you. I just simply want to simply pray for you. If that's you this morning, I want you to raise your hand. God, if there's somebody going through something right now and they just say, okay, God, I, I, have not, I have not been using that power to bring people to you. I have, I have kind, of, kind of strayed on the walk that you have given me. God, I just simply need prayer. I just simply need encouragement this morning. If that's you, I don't want to, again, I don't want to call you out. I don't want to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you this morning. If that's you, I just want you to simply raise your hand. You say, Eric, I just I need encouragement. I need prayer. I, 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 need, I need the love of Jesus. If that's you, just simply raise your hand. We're not going to call on you. We're not going to, we're not going to single you out. I just simply, again, want to pray for you. Jesus, we love you. I want to challenge everybody if, if they want to come up to the altar, if they want to, if they want to make a decision, please, I, I will be up here. I, I would love to pray with you. But God, we give you all the glory and all the honor. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, if God is leading you to come up and pray, I, I would sure encourage you to come up and kneel at the altar and pray. If you need prayer, I would love, I would be honored to pray with you this morning. Don't leave. Don't leave these doors. Don't walk out this church without prayer or without talking to somebody. God has put the power inside of you. Let's use it this morning as we sing.